Yeah. 28. Two more sermons left. Matthew 28. Two more indeed. Right? Yep. Me and you. You, me, me, and you. You and you, you, me, me. All right. Well. Let's make it so I don't trip here. Matthew 28. All right, guys, why don't we stand up as we read God's Word to us this morning. And um, let's hear this as he speaks to us now. Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were also, or so were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while they were sleeping. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The word of the Lord. You guys can take a seat. All right. Well, we are um, finishing up our study in Matthew, and uh, like we said, we only have two uh, two sermons left. This one, and then the sermon on the Great Commission. And so today, it's going to be like Easter Sunday. So we're going to be celebrating Easter um, today, just like we do on Easter Sunday, and talking about the implications of some of that in some ways, or just the reality. Of that. Well, the topic of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has received a lot of attention. A lot of attention from believers and unbelievers alike over the years. This is really for us as Christians one of the core tenets of our Christian religion. And this core tenet is, is, is many times either met with staunch opposition or unbelief or with the most passionate belief and um, 
a passion belief by Christians. And at the very heart of it, it touches upon one of the most undisputed realities for all of us as human beings, which is death, which is our own mortality, right? We can argue about a lot of things, but we know that someday each and every one of us are going to die. In some way, in some form, we are going to die. That's undisputed. Listen to this quote from Leo Tolstoy as he wrestles with this. My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions, lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, Is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy? So here's a man honestly answering and actually wrestling with this question of the meaning of existence in the face of death. And I think our passage here, Jesus really honestly answers this man's question in our study of the resurrection. And so today we're going to see that different people respond differently to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some people believe, and then on the other hand, some people deny. And the question for all of us is, what will we do with the resurrection of Jesus Christ? So let's first turn our attention to really this all-important historical fact of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ as recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew for people like you and me, sinners in need of salvation. So the first point is this, that Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave just as he said. Just as he said. When the two Marys come to the grave where Jesus lay, they were greeted with the angel of the Lord. We just read this a minute ago. He says, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. And then what does he say to them? He is not here. For he is risen as he said. He is risen, and we say he is risen indeed on Easter Sunday because of this. But this phrase, as he said, as he said, I don't know about you guys, but it stuck out to me as I was reading and studying this text. Think back on our study of Matthew. And try to remember the times that Jesus said that he was going to go to the cross that he was going to die, and that he would raise again. It happens a lot. Let me give you a few examples. Matthew 16, 21 says this, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Again, in Matthew 17, It says, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And just one more, uh, so you'll see this. Matthew 20, it says, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. So you see that even in Matthew's gospel, that it is building. Jesus says, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And it does. 
But even back in the Old Testament, a long time ago that we talked about in our opening uh, preparation for worship, Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. And in verse 11, it says, He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall a righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And we see this foretelling and then the fulfillment. Why then should Jesus' followers be surprised when this happens in this way? Why are the disciples surprised when this actually happens, when he actually dies and then is raised? And yet, after all, we can't be too harsh on the disciples. We can't be too harsh on the Marys that go and look at the empty tomb that day because we probably would have reacted in the very same way. However, it's important for us to see that even though to the spectators, the crucifixion, or through the crucifixion, that everything seemed finished, that Jesus was silenced once and for all, that the disciples had, had scattered and their whole world had been turned upside down. What Matthew is trying to show us, what God is trying to remind us of this morning is that even in all of this, God's sovereign plan of redemption is being carried out step by step by step. It is coming to fruition just like he wanted it to, exactly the way that he intended it. And Jesus said that he would raise from the dead on the third day. And that is exactly what happened. Just as he said. Just as he said. It's a historical fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And Matthew records it to us there in Matthew 28. What about us? Maybe some application for us as we think about this reality of Jesus' resurrection. It may seem obvious and may be a normal Christian belief for us, but for many people, this is something that is rejected. This is something that is denied. This is something that is made fun of. Many see the bodily resurrection of Jesus as a hoax, as a fairy tale, to a fairy tale to a story that needs to end in a good way. It's, a, it's something made up after his life. It's just a good teacher. We need, it. We need to give him kind of the honor of a, of a good um, uh, death and a story afterwards that his followers would believe. And in the world's eyes, we are considered fools many times for believing in such things like the resurrection from the dead. And yet, it is central to our faith. It is central to the Christian religion. It's central to our being forgiven of our sins. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if that is true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, 
we are, all, we, are, we are of all people most to be pitied. So Paul reminding us, like, look, this is important for us to celebrate. This is important for us to believe. It is important that Matthew records this for us here, that Jesus did in fact raise, and that through that we can be forgiven of our sins, that through that we can have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us and helping us to fight that sin that we long to see defeated in our lives. Christ did raise from the dead, and he gave many witnesses to that fact, Matthew being one of them. And so the simple fact of recording the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ should uh, give us a heart, give us courage as we walk in our everyday walk with God. And the rest of the New Testament really explains that and expounds upon that and talks about the implications well, the remainder of our time together, there are, like we said in the, in the beginning, two different responses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the first we see is there are witnesses to the resurrection who believe, witnesses that, that believe. As we've already pointed out, the two Marys came to the grave and they found something that they didn't expect whatsoever. They came to the grave that morning, not expecting to find Jesus Christ, but they found an angel, an earthquake, an empty tomb. Think about that. That must have been uh, quite an experience for them as they woke up that morning and walked to the grave. It's no wonder that they were struck with both fear and awe and joy at the same time as they witnessed one of the most, or probably the most unbelievable event in their lives, the empty tomb. Let's take a moment, though, to zero in on the women's response to the news of Jesus and his resurrection. Verse 6, the angel invites them to come and to see where the body used to lay but no longer does. Right? We have pictures of like the empty tomb. And the angel invites them to see this is where he laid, but he is no longer there. And also the angel tells them that we that he is going to, or sorry that they're going to see Jesus and meet them in Galilee. Note that both the women and the other disciples will be told about the amazing news of the resurrection, but also will experience the risen Lord in flesh and in blood, in living color as it were. And so not only do they get that news, but then they're also going to experience Jesus. They're going to see him. And I think there are a few lessons here for us. The first one is this, that the women became the first witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the language of their response indicates that they were excited, that they were energized by this. Multiple commentators have, have pointed out that the fact that this reality of the women being the first witnesses elevates the gospels um, as more historically reliable because of the fact that women were recorded as the first witnesses. One commentator says this, the risen Jesus first appears to women whose value as witnesses among the Jews is worthless. See, women were not very highly regarded back in that day. And their value as a witness to something like this wouldn't have been taken as something all that great or all that reliable. 
So the argument goes that if the gospel writers are writing their gospels as true historical facts, then women would not have been given such a prominent role in the account. But if you did give women a prominent role as witnesses in this genre of historical account, then you would have no reason to be lying. For it wouldn't help your case to have a woman be the first witness to something like the resurrection. Your only motive would be that it actually happened that way. That it actually happened that way. So it increases or it shows us that the Gospels, as if we need this, are are reliable and good. But this is what else it does. I think this is really important for us and the women in our congregation as well. What it does also is it speaks to the inherent value and dignity and worth that Jesus sees in women, that God sees in women, that he bestows upon them and validates to them as he shows his his resurrected self to them. It's important for us to see that. That Jesus is not chauvinistic, Jesus, Jesus values and loves women. He, was a, he created them with inherent value and dignity and worth. And he reminds us of that as we see him show himself to these women that had followed him faithfully. I thought it was really important for us to see that. The other thing also is that they believe the good news delivered by the angel that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. So not only did Jesus make himself appear to the women, but the women believed in the good news. They took it to heart. And this is evident by their actions, their actions of obedience. They take that news and they go and depart quickly, right? To go and do exactly what the angel said to do. They depart from the tomb with great fear, or sorry, with with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples what they had seen and what they experienced. Verse 9 says, And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. They worshipped him. They believed in him. They believed in the resurrected Jesus. That he was not just dead. That he was not just a good leader or a good moral teacher, but that he was Jesus. He was God in the flesh, raised from the dead. And they took this to heart and treasured it. Now, they probably didn't understand all of what was going on. They probably had tons of questions, just like you and I would have if that happened in our lives. And yet, they trusted their Messiah. They trusted their Savior. They worshipped Him as He presented Himself to them. And I think the same application is for you and us today, which is to believe the good news about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do we get forgiven of our sins? It is because Jesus Christ resurrected from the grave, just as he said. And for us who do believe, I think the application is for us to further rejoice in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. To further rejoice in this awesome truth. To go back to God's word. And to read things like Ephesians, we will this fall. And to see the implications of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That God lives inside of me now through the Holy Spirit. He is helping me to fight sin and to live for righteousness. That's only possible because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we celebrate this not just on Easter Sunday, 
but on every Sunday of the year. We can say He is risen, he is risen indeed. not just on Easter Sunday morning, right? We can say that every Sunday. Listen to this quote from Pastor Doriani. He says this, The angel's commission to go and tell still applies in this day. Joyful Christians are commissioned to tell one another of the resurrection every day. Every week in worship, we tell each other the resurrection story when we sing and confess our faith together. It is central to our faith. It's central to our life with God. It's central to our forgiveness of sins, to our fight for holiness. And when we come together, especially, not only, but especially on Sunday mornings, we sing about it. We sing about the great news of the resurrection. We, we proclaim it to one another corporately as we are involved in singing and praying and worshiping. We are reminding each other of this great truth because we forget it. We become so consumed with the everyday details of our lives that we need to be reminded that he is risen and he is risen indeed. But the sad truth is that there are some who will deny it. And there are some who will not believe in this truth. And that's evident from verses 11 through 15, witnesses who deny the resurrection. We see that while all this was happening, the guards were on their own go-and-tell mission. The guards were on their own go-and-tell mission. They were going and telling a different story. We know that they went to the chief priest, told them what they had experienced, and then it goes downhill from there. See, Matthew's opposition theme continues. Opposition to the kingdom of God. It doesn't just stop when Jesus was crucified on that cross, but it continues after he was raised. There still is an enemy. There still is opposition to Jesus and his kingdom going forward. And Matthew wants us to remember that. Verse 11, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that were taking place. And so the guards experiencing some of these things that the Marys did at the tomb, take it to them, take it to these religious officials, and what do they do? They concoct or they devise a plan, an evil plan, to spread a lie. To spread a lie. What was that lie? Well, it was that the disciples had stolen the body while they were sleeping. That was their lie. That's what they said happened. That was their explanation to these rumors of the resurrection that might pop up. But as with any lie, there are several problems with this lie that we need to point out. One commentator brings up the obvious problem. How could the guards know the body was stolen by the disciples if they were sleeping? If they were sleeping, how would they know that the body was stolen by the disciples? And let's just say that one of them woke up, the commentator says. Why was not the alarm sounded and the disciples arrested as they were caught in the act since this would be such a heinous and grievous crime in the ancient world to mess with tombs. And so we see there are several problems here for the high priests that concoct this plan. But also, another person points out the irony here. He says this, in that the priests concoct the very, very thing they tried to prevent in 20, uh, chapter 27, verse 62 through 66, the disciples stealing the body. 
If we were to go back there, or remember back to our sermon, they set a guard. They asked Pilate, look, these people are going to steal the body. Let's make sure that doesn't happen. And yet, that's the lie that they're coming up with now and spreading. The irony in that. So in trying to deny and suppress the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the high priests have become illogical, not making any sense whatsoever. In their opposition to Jesus, they just wouldn't stop. They wouldn't give up. And that's what the opposition does. They won't give up. Keep fighting even to this day. This is true of unbelievers all throughout the history of the world. In their hate for God and with their depraved and thoroughly sinful minds, they have concocted lies about Jesus, his life, his death, and especially his resurrection, as we're looking at today, and have spread these lies far and wide throughout the history of time. And this is true in the highest educational institutions to the word on the street and the average Joe. These lies have been concocted and spread. As one said, haters are going to hate, right? Haters are going to hate. I think there's a lesson for us here in the resolve of the high priest. Did any of you catch how resolved they were in their plan of sinful deception? There are multiple levels here. They just keep going down and down, a downward spiral. They assembled all together. So it wasn't just one of them making this plan. They decided together they would do this. They paid off the soldiers. They spread a lie. And they even said, look, if it gets to the governor or Pilate, the high officials, we'll pay them off too. The resolve of the opposition is amazing. Sin is no joke. Sin is no joke. They just didn't deny the resurrection or blow it off. They denied it with vigor and sought to snuff out anyone who would try to believe it was true or spread the truth of what really happened. And the same is true today. The same is true today all across our schools, all across our government or or organizations all worldwide. There is opposition to Jesus. And it's important for us to remember that as we go about our Christian walk. We know that that opposition didn't end on the cross. For sure, Jesus took care of that opposition. And he showed his victory on the cross and through his resurrection. But until he returns, we will struggle with an enemy. An enemy that wants to silence Jesus that wants to silence his followers. Now we should be aware of that. It doesn't make us scared because we got Jesus on our side. We got the resurrected one on our side, the resurrected king on our side. We are to continue to believe, to continue to worship, to continue to follow him and to believe him because he is a promise keeper, not a promise breaker like Satan is. And as we close this morning, I hope together that we can rejoice in this glorious truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, Matthew doesn't unfold all the implications for us. He simply records it. But the rest of the New Testament is built upon the glorious truth of the resurrection and explains it to us, just like we'll learn this fall in the book of Ephesians. 
We have seen today that different people respond differently to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some people believe in it and treasure it and take it to heart, while others deny it and suppress it and try to stop it at all costs. And the question for you and I this morning is, which will you do? Will you believe or will you suppress it? Will you deny it? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is a light, uh, Lord, that lights up our path. It's a lamp that uh, shows us the way. And God, we thank you that you have provided for us a, a, uh, a reliable account of what really happened through this gospel of Matthew. God, we thank you that you have given us witness this morning yet again of the beautiful truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I know that I needed to hear that this morning. I know that every one of us needed to hear that this morning. And so, God, I pray for the grace to believe. God, I pray that for those who may be in that camp of denying you, Jesus, that they would come to repentance and faith this morning. God, that they would no longer fight against you, but Lord, that they would submit and surrender their lives to you, Jesus, and to follow you because there is nothing better than you, nothing better than you in this world. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would keep us on the straight and narrow as we follow you. And Lord, as we come to a close in this gospel of Matthew, may you just encourage us to go out and to live for you as we will soon see in the the Great Commission as Pastor Santo brings it to us next week. We love you. We praise you. We treasure you. We worship you, the resurrected Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.